If you will open up to Romans 13, we'll look at verses 11 through 14. If you'll please stand for the reading of the word. Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Please be seated. Well, again, Happy New Year. Um, And when you think about the new year, how often do we make New Year's resolutions? We're talking about that earlier. Some people don't do that. I don't always do that. But when we do, how often do we keep them? How often are those New Year's resolutions spiritual? I will challenge all of us to consider three New Year's resolutions of spiritual nature. Romans 13, 11 through 14, number one, be alert. Verse 11, understand the times. Number two, repent. Verses 12 and 13, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Number three, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, a man had a checkup. He went to, to the doctor to get the results. The doctor said, I have bad news and I have worse news. Which do you want first? The man was at a loss. Well, he said, I guess the bad news. The doctor said, you have 24 hours to live. The man jumped off. He said, "That's that's not enough time for me to get my affairs in order. I mean, what could be worse than that? Worst news, the doctor said, is that I was supposed to tell you this yesterday, but I forgot. Fortunately for believers, God has warned us about what's going to happen in the future. You may have 24 hours. If Christ is returning, we all hope that is true. Or if God calls you home, but in either case, you have to be ready. God foreknew you, He predestined you become conformed to the image of his son. You were called, you were justified. One day we'll all be glorified. We know Christ. But as we became Christians, he started started us on this path of sanctification, of being set apart for him. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And if we're trusting Christ alone, we're saved and the Holy Spirit lives within us and we're becoming living holy sacrifices as we allow the Word of God to renew our minds as we're obedient to His Word. In chapters 12 and 13 of Romans, it shows us some things that are going to be different about us if we're Christians. Number one, we worship 
Now, before you became a Christian, you worshipped something. But when you became to Christ, you began to worship God. No one has to drag you to church. You can't wait to be with fellow believers. You can't wait to be in the Word. You can't wait to sing praises. That wasn't true of us before we came to Christ. Number two, spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts and you desire to discover those and use those to build up the body of Christ. Number three, we love without hypocrisy. We live that out. It's from the heart. Number four is prayer. We're devoted to prayer. Because we know how dependent we are on God. Number five, other Christians. We're devoted to them in brotherly love. We, we, we don't isolate ourselves and care only about ourselves. We care about others. Number six, our enemies. We repay evil with good, it says. We don't seek revenge. That certainly wasn't the way I conducted myself before I came to Christ. Number seven, the government. We are good citizens. We pay our taxes. Now, you may have been a good citizen before you came to Christ, but now you know that that's what God wants of you. And if there are any areas where you're not doing that, I would guess that in L.A. hardly anybody follows the speed limit, even Christians. Uh, If you're not doing 70 or 80 out on the freeway, you're going to get run over. But Paul has talked about specifics up to this point. Now he talks in general about the Christian life. Our daily walk in 2023 should include these things. Make these New Year's resolutions. Number one, be alert. Verse 11. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. There's an urgency. There's an urgency to these things. You may not have another five minutes. Be alert. Walk in the Spirit. Practice these seven things we just mentioned. Do it today and then tomorrow and the day after that and on and on and on. Second Peter 3, 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And those who don't believe mock us for believing these things. But Peter and Paul believed the second coming was imminent. And they wanted Christians to live as if they believed that. Christ said in Matthew 24, For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think He will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom the Master put in charge of His household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. 
But if the evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on the day when he does not expect him and an hour in which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in the place there will be gnashing and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. You can't live as you please and be ready when Christ comes. He says, do this. That means everything from chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 10. Then people will know that you're truly a disciple of Christ. And they can take you seriously when you talk to them about Christ. Love others. Obey the government. Too often, and it's true of me at times, we waste time. That's wasting your life and your gifts and your opportunities. Parents run out of time with their kids. Um, Students have projects to do and they wait until the last moment. And they pull an all-nighter. Remember pulling those all-nighters? Too often, we procrastinate. The lost run out of time when they die. They're too blind, they're too prideful before that to trust Christ. The Christian runs out of time. The guy, somebody will say, I planned to share Christ with my uncle, but then he died. I wanted to get, I wanted to reconcile with my father, but we ran out of time. Many Christians say, I'm going to serve the church. As soon as I have time. But when you least least expect it, the angel of death rings the doorbell. Be alert. Know the times. Be ready. Knowing the time. Paul could have used the Greek word chronos, which is calendar time. But he uses kairos. A quality of time. A kind of time. What kind of time is it? It's the last days. Like First Chronicles 12:32, the men understood the times. We should understand the times. It says of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Therefore, they knew what Israel should do. They, they could see how things were going. That it was now the right time to join David and make him king. Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it, is, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? Kairos. Understanding what God is doing at that present time. They couldn't interpret the signs of His coming. You and I were living in this present evil age, and we must live with the knowledge of the fact that Christ could return at any moment. Israel is back in the land. 
And it may be that it's that generation that's still alive but getting older that Christ could return. Awaken from sleep, it says. Wake up from your apathy. Love your neighbor while there's still time. Remember Jonah? He was asleep. The boat was in danger and the captain had to come down and wake him up. You and I need to stop running away from the task that God has assigned to us as Christians. He saved us for a purpose. Because He has a well with your address in His GPS. He knows how to get our attention. The disciples slept the night Christ was arrested while they should have been doing what? Watching and praying. Have you ever tried to wake up one of your kids and found them in such a deep sleep that they just wanted to keep sleeping? And they wanted you to go away. That's the situation with many Christians today. Or at least people who go to church. The world is perishing and the church doesn't want to wake up. And, and they want preachers like George and myself to just go away. It's easier and far more pleasant to just turn over and sleep some more. The church has to wake up. Why? Number one, the time is near. And number two, we have no right to sleep when there's work to do and there is work to do. Spurgeon said when he preached Romans 13.11 that Christians have no right to sleep. He said Christians have been rescued from death to be Christ's witnesses and that they are called to be alert and working until Jesus returns. Number three, and because we have, we as the church, have many enemies who are awake and working even when we're not. Spurgeon said, you may sleep, but you can't get the devil to close his eyes. If we could see the activities of the servants of Satan, he said, we would be ashamed of our laziness. Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. They do not have the truth. But they don't sleep much. They're on the go. They put us to shame. At the height of the Cold War, Robert McNamara, Secretary of War, said he always had to remember that when we're asleep, two-thirds of the world is up to some mischief. Number four, because there's something worth getting up for. Many convicts, people in prison, sleep long hours each day because there's nothing worth getting up for. That's not true for the Christian. We have meaningful work to do. We have the good news. We have the truth and we must tell people about it. In the Great Awakening, as Jonathan Edwards and others, like George Whitfield, preached, the people woke up to their sin and their need for Christ and their need for holy lives. We need another Great Awakening. Right?
Number two, repent. The need to repent. Verses 12 and 13, starting verse 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The life of every Christian includes repentance. At salvation, you repented of your sin and day to day. Too many Christians are sleeping, paying no attention to what is going on in the world or maybe even in their own lives. Too many are not alert. They're not paying attention to the sign of the times. Too many are lazy when it comes to their commitment to Christ. Complacent, indifferent. Get up and go to work before it's too late. And, and, and be in the Bible. I, I'm not always this disciplined, but yesterday I finished reading the Bible through in a year. Read the MacArthur Devotional Bible. And, uh, boy, that, that just was wonderful. It was a wonderful way to do that. Nice reading um, uh, schedule. Lisa's a little behind, but that's okay. She's working her way through that. She's had a lot going on. But um, I encourage you to read the Bible through. Be in prayer. Be in prayer. Share your faith. Take a chance and and. And start a conversation with somebody about the gospel. Be in fellowship. He talks about the night here. It's man's spiritual darkness. The day represents the imminent return of Christ. The time of spiritual darkness will come to an end. Amen to that. Now is the time to repent and lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Lay aside your sin. Take off the old self. The day-night contrast was popular in general moral teachings in the ancient world as a way to distinguish good behavior from evil behavior. The night is when debauchery takes place. We always tell our, told our kids when they were a little older, nothing good happens after midnight. Get in. On New Year's Eve, we were talking before, good to be in bed, you know, 9, 30, 10. But, you know, let those of the night continue on. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Because as Calvin says... We are to carry on a warfare for the Lord. As children of God, we are of the day, and we should live like we're children of the day. So we should not be involved in, number one, carousing. That word in the Greek is used for an athletic celebration that often turned into a drunken orgy, or a brawl, or rioting. Number two, drunkenness. The word here is for intentional, habitual drinking. Not somebody who just drinks a glass of wine or a glass of beer, but drunkenness. Galatians 5.21 and 1 Peter 4.3. It's interesting. Carousing and drunkenness are found side by side. 
When I went off to uh, Clarion University back in the early 70s, one of the things I told people, I am not joining a fraternity. What did I do? I joined a fraternity. And uh, one of the worst decisions of my life, because a lot of that stuff went on on a regular basis. When I went to the University of Kansas in grad school, I became the teak, I was a Ta Kappa Epsilon teak, um, chapter advisor. I was an advisor of the night. I didn't give good advice. So for a Christian teenager, just think about this for a second. For a Christian teenager to go off to a secular college, is it wise to join a fraternity? In many, if not all, situations, you're just asking for trouble. Bad company, people of the night, often corrupt people of the day. This is not the lifestyle of a Christian. Number three, sexual promiscuity. The word literally means going to bed with someone. Hebrews 13.4, honor the marriage bed. Mar uh, sexual relations are to be between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. Alcohol abuse is often associated with that too. Number four, sensuality. Whereas the ESV says debauchery. And this is what it means literally. Shameless excess. The absence of of restraint. It's not uncommon for people today to brag about those things. Number five, you shouldn't be involved in strife and dissension, meaning fighting and, and being antagonistic. Six is jealousy. And that's what caused so much trouble in the church at Corinth. You can do these things without alcohol, but when you add drunkenness to the mix, you're more likely to go overboard. It is time to turn from these things. If you're involved in any of these things, you're not ready for the return of Christ. Wayne Grudem says, Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. You understand that sin is wrong, that it offends God, and you make a decision by the grace of God to turn from it. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of... The of the world produces death. Scripture puts faith and repentance together as two aspects of being saved. It's not a work, as some people try to say. Christ said, believe, repent and believe. Acts 17.30 Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Acts 5, 31, he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as the prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance like faith is a gift from God. As many as 
had been appointed to salvation believed and they repented. But repentance is something like faith that continues throughout the life of a Christian. It's not a one-time event. Don't live like the world. In the end, you may be left behind or you may be outside of the kingdom. Henry was in church because his wife wanted him there with her and with her kids. But he liked to stay up on Saturday nights. He liked Saturday Night Live. And so on Sunday morning, he was usually very tired. On one particular Sunday, he was more tired than usual. And the mellow sounds of the choir and the monotone of the pastor's voice caused him to nod off. And he began to snore quietly. His wife nudged him and whispered in his ear, The pastor wants you to close in prayer. Henry jumped up out of his seat and he began to pray until he saw the pastor and the congregation looking confused because the pastor hadn't finished his sermon yet. After the giggles died down, Henry sat down feeling more and more embarrassed than ever before. Believers will be more than embarrassed if they do not prepare for the day when they meet the Lord. And so, number three, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Colossians 2, 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. If you have done that, you've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You remember that from Philippians chapter 2. Talking about humility and sacrifice. This means you're walking in the Spirit. You're obeying from the heart the Word of God. You're laying aside the old self. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means you love God and you love your neighbor. We bow to His Lordship. And we make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, the Bible, of course, gives us the answer in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That part of you that wants to keep on sinning, where you have to continue to die to self so you honor God. Lay aside the things that hinder your relationship with Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Get out of sinful relationships. Get out of those relationships that draw you away from Christ. Stop gossiping. What's it say in the Old Testament? With many words, sin is unavoidable. So if you stay on the phone, you're going to gossip at some point if you stay on too long. Do not covet thinking that if I just had what my brother had, then I'd be happy. And again, I think that's what our daughter Catherine was saying when she got off of uh, Facebook and all all the social media. Because she saw what other people had and she was just jealous. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. The first day you jump in the pool, you're not going to swim a mile. Right? You need to train. You need to be disciplined. You need maybe a coach. You can't lay aside your sin unless you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That will then motivate you to do that and it will empower you to complete it. That means commit to learning. Disciple in the Greek means to be a learner. We must be learners. We must humble ourselves. We must make the necessary sacrifices to be sure that we're in the Word and prayer and in church. And sometimes, you know, to make sure we're in church, we can't be like that guy Henry who, you know, had to watch Saturday Night Live on Saturday night and was too tired in the morning to really pay attention. Make these things a priority in 2023. So what did we learn today? We've been discussing New Year's resolutions. The life of a Christian day-to-day needs to include a walk in holiness. Be alert. Understand the times. Repent. Turn from your sin. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Surrender to His Lordship. Let the Word of God dwell richly within you. Let the love of Christ control you. How do we apply it? It was Tuesday... July 20th, 1993, in a forest 100 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. Don Weinman, a big burly mining company employee, was cutting up a fallen tree. It was 4 p.m. and he was alone. When he finished one cut, tragedy struck. The tree snapped back in his direction, knocked him to the ground. The massive tree landed on his left shin, shattering the bone and tearing the flesh. Pinned to the ground, Wyman screamed out in pain. He tried to free himself to no avail. Then he weighed his options. Either bleed to death or with his pocket knife, amputate his leg. He pulled the starter cord from the chainsaw 
wrapped it around his leg and tied the cord to a wrench. Then he twirled the wrench until it cut off the flow of blood to his shin. Somehow, somehow he amputated his own leg below the knee with a pocket knife. Now, on one leg, he had to find help. He crawled 135 feet up a hill over loose loose ground to his bulldozer. He drove the bulldozer for a fourth of a mile to his pickup truck, all the while clutching the tourniquet. The truck had a manual transmission, but using a metal file to depress the clutch, when he shifted, Wyman was able to drive to a farmer's house a half a mile away. The farmer called for help, and Wyman lived. Don Wyman's leg was important to him, but as he lay under the oak tree, bleeding to death, he realized his life and his family were more important. No matter what you value on this earth, God is more important. Many Christians hold on to pet sins. That may be a New Year's resolution for you. Don't hold on to those any longer. But many Christians hold on to pet sins that hinder them from experiencing the abundant life that Christ promises. Wouldn't it be better to cut out any sin that stunts your spiritual growth? that hurts your witness, that keeps you from serving God's church the way He gifted you. At the men's breakfast a couple months ago, I encouraged the men and and I challenged them with these seven questions that I think we should all ask ourselves every year. And by the way, remember that, guys, at that meeting, I asked you to memorize Philippians 4.8. So we're going to be accountable to each other next time we meet. I think that you said on the 28th we're going to do that, right? So here's the seven things. Number one, do I, and this is something we should ask each other, ask ourselves each New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Do I know Christ more intimately now than I did a year ago? Be honest with yourself. How have I grown this last year in letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God guide my life, mind, and decisions? What victories in terms of character issues has God given me over the last year? How am I doing in reflecting love in my relationships with people? Is my conscience clear in matters of personal desires? In the use of time and money and food and sex? Do I have unresolved conflicts with people that need to be addressed? What action should I take? What's it say? As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And finally, who have I shared Christ with in the last year? I was standing in line at the bank a couple weeks ago. A man was in front of me. He was next in line uh, to go to the teller. And uh, he was in a wheelchair. 
And they were taking, the people who were up there were taking a long time. And, and so he started to talk to me. I think he was a Vietnam vet, and he talked to me about that. And he talked about how he used to fix motorcycles and how he had ended up in that wheelchair. And then there was a, a time of silence. And, and again, I, I'm bold sometimes and sometimes I'm not. But I just leaned over to him and I said, you know, if you place your trust in Christ, you can walk again. I got his attention. I said, maybe not in this life, but in heaven, if you have faith in Christ, you can walk on streets of gold. He mumbled something and went on. I don't know what he said, but uh, hopefully maybe that was a seed that was planted in his heart. Let 2003 be a year of spiritual growth, of growing in your love for God and others. A year of service. A year of planting seeds for the gospel. Happy New Year. Father, we thank you so much for our Savior. We thank you that uh, we know what's coming. We know that Jesus is returning. And we pray it's this year. We pray it's today. But Father... It may not be, and it is not a time to sleep. It's a time to wake up and do the work of the ministry. In our sphere of influence, we need, people need to know who we serve, and they need to hear from us why, why we have this hope that's in us. So, Father, help us to be bold. Maybe that's a, a New Year's resolution. Help me be more bold for you. Thank you, Father, that you called us and you saved us, and one day you'll glorify us.